This is Neon Radio, episode 175, with fine artist Benjamin Shine. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, fellow Neonites? I hope you're living a great, grand life of creativity. I hope you are creating your moments every day, every moment. I have been here in New York City for a month, which feels a little odd, not being on a plane. Doing a lot of work in the office and doing some photo shoots here in the city and also playing around with my new venture of making hats. You can check those out over at at Onkin Hat on the gram. It's been an exciting new side hustle for me, but now I'm doing bespoke custom hats for people. Just doing a couple a month as I am, you know, primarily a photographer. That's what I do and uh, make these podcasts for you and find really cool, interesting creatives to help you to distill what they've learned and share it along the way, which is why I'm excited to bring to you today's guest. He is an incredible artist, incredible artist. His name is Benjamin Shine. If you haven't seen his work, you need to go over to his Instagram right now. It's at Benjamin Shine Studio. His website is benjaminshine.com. And uh, I met his wife at the Murray Forleo book launch event about a couple months ago here in New York City. Her name is Danielle Shine. She's an amazing nutritionist and chef and amazing person in her own right. Go and follow her as well. She is a gem. I told her about the podcast and she's like, you have to meet my husband. Uh, His work is amazing. She showed me his work on Instagram and I was like, holy shit, his stuff is so dope. And so I'm excited to bring to you a great interview with him today. We're also doing a little studio tour video. I'm going to post that up on my Instagram stories. You can go over to at Nick Onkin and uh, I'll be posting it over there and also over on the YouTube. We did a little studio tour of his temporary studio here in New York City. He's a traveling artist, go figure. Uh, He's from London, has a studio there, but he came here, him and his wife came here for a few months and set up a little studio. So we got to tour the studio. So go check that out. He's done uh, so many. He's sold to some really, really big celebrities. He's collaborated with John Galliano. He did this sick, sick collaboration with him while he was still alive for the runway. Art is made out of tool, which is what they make tutus out of. And he has an amazing technique where he uses an iron and he creates depth and shadows of mostly of faces. So yeah, check it out. It's amazing. And if you are new to this podcast, new to Neon Radio, you can uh, go over to neonradio.com slash quiz, take our 10 question quiz, uh, and we'll serve you up some free content to help you out with where you're at in your creative journey. Also, there's an open-ended question down there. And I've been uh, answering some of those questions on the podcast last week's was about staying motivated and focused. So you can go check that out. We're also on the gram at Neon Life. That's N-I-O-N-L-I-F-E. Fun quotes, stay up to date, all the good stuff. So with that, I give you the one, the only Benjamin Shine. 
What is up, everyone? We have Benjamin Shine in his studio. Yeah. I had to come by and see. We don't want to do it here because obviously we want to see the work. It's so visual. Yeah. Well, you can't, unfortunately, you can't see how white it is in here. <laughs> this is a seriously white box we're in. It is a little white box, but you brought some color to it. Absolutely. Benjamin's work is really beautiful. It's, how would you explain it? It's like kind of made with fabric, but I don't even know how to this, explain it. This is tulle fabric. It's what kind of fabric? Tulle. Tulle. As you say in America. Okay. Or tulle, as we say in England. Tulle. It's, um, it's a knitting fabric. Okay. So it's like bridal wear, ballerinas wear it. So it's like a very okay. Oh, this is fabric. like you put make tutus out of these things. You make tutus out of them. Aha. Yeah. yeah. Aha. I okay. try and avoid that personally. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't see him like the tutu type of guy, no, but no. Uh, <laughs> do something different with it. His work is absolutely incredible. I'll put some photos up on the on the site. You can check it out on the on the page on the show notes, but also a little little video so you can get an idea of what it is. And your Instagram is. It's Benjamin Shine Studio. Benjamin Shine Studio. So look it up now if you're on your phone because then you can get a visual reference of what his work's like. But very fashion driven as well. You have a fashion background. That's right. I studied fashion. I was at two universities. One was in, in Surrey in the UK and then I went on to St. Martin's. Okay. And I was doing women's wear. So that's kind of where it started. You know, just I didn't know anything about fashion when I went into that environment. I was. I had done some work experience for a fashion company and okay. they'd, they'd actually put my shirt designs on their range. I was like 15 or 16. Oh, wow. So that was like why I chose fashion. But when I got there, I sort of discovered that I really knew very little compared to all these other students who'd been collecting Vogue since they were like five. Yeah. They knew all the designers. I, I really didn't even know how to sew. So it was like I was starting right at the bottom. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, I, I picked it up pretty quickly and... I just loved working with fabric, which was like a totally new medium. You know, yeah. I was into painting at school. I was like the art kid, you know, I was good at drawing and painting, but we never really were taught to venture outside that, yeah. you know, fabric. There was not even textiles and stuff at my school. So it was a whole new medium. Yeah. Me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What even put you, like spurred you to go into fashion design school without even, and you weren't even doing anything in that? You know, it was just it was just that little uh, that little feeling of that boost of just doing that work experience and, yeah. and the fact these guys had put that the shirts on on that range. It made me feel like this is something I could do, and I was sort of not really. I didn't have a good perception of artists in the big wide world outside of school. I sort of had heard that horrible phrase, you know, starving artist, <laughs> and I'd heard that more than I guess successful artist. Yeah. And I thought you've got to make decisions pretty quickly when you're going through that early education phase and you know that rolls around to what degree you're going to do or choose and you've got to make that decision yeah and so I guess I could have gone down the art road but with that little opportunity that came up I was like okay I'm going to try this fashion design route and see where that takes me oh wow yeah so you went into fashion school that you finished and then yeah well I, I went into fashion school and by the third year I'd sort of developed an obsession for making clothing out of one piece of fabric. Ah. It was outside of like the idea of fashion as trends and, and that sort of thing or, or creating sort of romantic, you know, designs or, or very feminine designs yeah. or whatever it was that, you know, defined you as a fashion designer. My work seemed somewhat sterile outside that and much more sculptural. Yeah. People I liked at the time were, were like Izzy Miyake, Hussein Chaliant had come onto the scene right at that sort of time. Mm -hmm. And these guys were outside fashion too. You know, they were very sculptural and conceptual and 
almost sci-fi-ish type thing. Yeah. And I felt more comfortable sort of working towards pieces that, that felt more like that for yeah. some reason. Yeah. I wasn't trying, it's just where it went. Yeah. But yeah, so I, it was really well received. You know, we, we had to do like a graduate fashion week. It was a big thing if you were selected for that. <laughs> so the work went on to there. And then from there, I got picked to go to Central St. Martins, which is, you know, one of the main fashion right. universities to do an MA. And I went there and then it kind of became clear that the, the fashion really wasn't for me. I kept sort of apologizing as I'd go into my crypt with the head, you know, say, I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't fashion, this is sculpture or design. Yeah. At the end of the day, they were like, you know what, you shouldn't even be doing this. You should be doing what you're doing as, as an artist, as a, a, you know, doing a sculpture. I'm thinking, wow, this is, that's a really good point. You know, yeah. I, sh- I should. And so I actually left and I, I did two things. I invented a, a product, which was a scarf that turned into a jacket that reversed into a raincoat, <laughs> which was, it kind of embodied all the stuff I'd learned and loved in yeah. fashion, which was all about pattern cutting and ingenuity and this kind of one piece transformation. You know, I loved wow. all of that. Yeah. How you can work within the limitations of one. And here, here was a scarf. Yeah. What could you do with, with a piece of fabric? And it was to create this, this kind of product. And at the same time, I developed a, about a 25 piece series of artworks using, using fabric. And it kind of, both things went along for a period of time together and I was like juggling both. Yeah. And they, they both carried on for like 10 years. So on the one hand, I was an inventor, inventing all sorts of products, you know, patenting them, licensing them really? to companies who would develop them from the prototypes that I would make and patent. And that, that was the first one, the scarf was the first one where I learned a lot about business and how to handle all the stuff that you don't get taught right. in fashion. Yeah. And then sort of on, on the side was this growing art business in a way. It was out of that first exhibition, I had done one portrait. It was almost like a finale piece to the show because it was a real labor intensive piece and large. And off the back of that, commissions started to come in for more of the same And that technique. was the stuff here. That actually was not the, this technique, but it was using the material. It was using tulle and silk okay. in sort of strips that were woven through thousands of eyelets that, that gradually built up a portrait image. Wow. And it hadn't occurred to me to do what I'm doing now back then, but it got to like 2008 and I was doing both these things for quite a number of years by that point. And that year was a shocker because it was the global financial crisis. Yeah. And pretty much if you were doing what I was doing in the product world where you're inventing products and there was a lot of new products always being pumped out, to be honest with you. And there was this, this demand for like new, new stuff all the time. And this still is now. But yeah. at that time, it stopped overnight. Anyone who was making something and, and just going down this formulate road of bringing things to market, it just stopped. And all the things that I had out in development stopped. Oh, wow. And it was like, wow, I'm going to have to shift because we couldn't see any, no one could see what was going to happen or yeah. how long this was going to last. And it actually lasted for like three or four years before any of those companies I was even working with, any of the ones that survived, yeah. before they actually started to introduce new product. They all reverted to just old you know, products that had, had a really long life and history to them. Yeah. So they were just it was like a fallback plan. But in that year... I was looking at, you know, where I could pivot to, if you like, mm-hmm. and it was going onto the art track, which had just nicely been building over these years. Yeah. And I, I looked at the portraits I was doing, I was thinking, you know, I need to like really, really focus on 
on this. And I looked at the, the fabric I'd been using. Of course, tulle was one of those materials. Yeah. And in my studio, there was a piece just crumpled on the floor. And I saw all the tones in it, as you do with, with that material. They're, yeah. all, they're all present whenever you look at it. You see it because it's transparent. Yeah. And in thinking about the portrait image, you need at least two tones to generate an image. Yeah. And here was this material like staring me in the face with like six or seven tones ready to go. The only difference is I thought it would be so cool if I could keep that as one piece. Yeah. And work all those pleats that are existing, but manipulate them to form the image within the material. Right. So that's what I had to go at. And it's kind of grown from there. That's so wild, man. Yeah. What, a, what a journey. Yeah. So the pivot was how long ago? It was 2008. Okay. Yeah. So, it was yeah. in that zone. Yeah. Yeah. And what, is, what was going through your mind when you were like, when all this stuff started kind of falling apart and you're like, ah, I have to do something new. Right? Yeah. It was disappointing because I was going down that kind of inventor designer road. It's just how it was, it was growing for me and I was, you know, I was enjoying that. But in a way, this, this seemed like a, another invention at the time. That was where my mindset was. Ah. I wasn't really thinking like an artist, I guess. I think there is a difference between a designer and an artist in the way they think. Yeah. And I've come through the design road, you know, through that fashion road. I didn't go to art school, which I think would have, would have had a different effect. Yeah. But in that sense, you know, designers, I think, are often trying to work out what they can do to create something that is in some way appealing to a common denominator. You know, I don't think an artist necessarily is going for that. Right. You know? Artists just make stuff. Artists just make stuff and it doesn't have to be even appealing. It can be something that's actually quite, you know, controversial or disturbing even. They're not going for appealing, but I think designers do go for appealing as kind of like the the main thing. So it's just, that's kind of, where I began to wrestle with. Yeah. I wonder what I, you know, my mentality was sort of opening up to, yeah, I can really explore some other avenues now. Yeah, that's really interesting because design mm. is kind of a little bit more commercial. You're almost like figuring it out for a commercial market in a certain Yeah, sense. in general, I think that is exactly it. And art, you just make stuff and then people buy it later. Yeah. <laughs> to I a certain extent. To a certain extent, I think that's it. There isn't that same parameter that you, you're kind of like, you've got to work within. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good... In that sense, it was a good thing to, to yeah. have that happen. You know, what did it take from you to keep pushing through that pivot, right? Because, yeah. you know, you didn't know what you're doing next. And yeah, you're exactly. like, you're already down a full however many years of your career. Yeah. And you're like, ah. Yeah. You know what? It was, I think I was fueled by the excitement of this new venture. And I think anyone who, you know, is creative you cannot escape that feeling when you get it. When, yeah. when you've had an idea and you're like, oh my God, I have to, I got to see this thing through. Everything else is second yeah. place, <laughs> you know? And you're just like, I'm just focusing 100%. Yeah. I really want to get to the bottom of whether this is possible. I think that was it. You know, I, the first piece I did was on the day I thought of it. So I literally just grabbed a, whatever tool that I had around, which was, which was quite a long length of black tool actually, which I don't even use these days. I very rarely use black but that's what I had. And I kind of put it on a table and I was thinking, how is this thing going to stay? You know, how is it going to fix mm-hmm. and hold its shape? And I was like holding it in the air and it was just falling around. And I think, you know, I was just trying to like, how is this going to work? Yeah. And I remember, you know, back from, from fashion and all the techniques and stuff of using the iron and certain interfacings and, and, and glue materials that are used in collars and cuffs to bond two materials together. 
And of course I had remnants left over in my studio. I grabbed some of that stuff and, you know, pretty much found a way to get it to work fairly quickly. It was, yeah. I don't use those exact materials today. It's like refined, but, yeah. but the principle was there. I started work on a piece straight away and within the first two days, it looked like I was going to be finishing it, which I was like really chuffed about. And then it took an entire month <laughs> to actually complete it. Wow. It was a very detailed portrait. And I was like half really pleased. And then the other half just like, oh my God, that took an entire month to do. Yeah. Like 10 hours a day. You know, my back was hurting. I had like been leaning over this table and ironing and burnt my fingers and <laughs> burnt half the thing. And it was just like, it was a learning experience, but it yeah. was cool. And that was the thing that made me go, there's something in this, you know, now, now I can kind of like mm. show this piece and see if I can begin getting some traction on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was really exciting because it was a, for me, it was, it was another invention. Yeah. That's what I'd known previously, but it was like, because it was a different market, it was an art world market and I really knew nothing about that. Yeah. So I had to sort of learn about that too. Yeah. Now you, you knew a lot about the business side from the patent and the invention side. What did you carry over? You know, and I guess that's something a lot of artists don't talk about or don't know about, yeah. uh, like you said. And what kinds of things did you learn from that that you're now applying to this business? Do you mean from like fashion, like studying fashion? Yeah, the fashion, because you, you mentioned that you you learned a lot of business tools and tactics for the, like that business in general, the art world. You know, the technique side of it came out of the fashion studies. A lot of the things that I'd learned, just handling fabric, the tactile, the way you got to do it, whether it's through a sewing machine or you're folding stuff, the hand manipulation, how fabric folds and reacts and doesn't like behaving, all that stuff. I don't think I would have been able to do what I do today without having studied four years of working with fabric yeah. in a fashion environment. The business side is really useful. It's, it's just any artist has to learn and form a, a business around what they are doing. I yeah. mean, there's just no way around that. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just float about at the end of the day, you are creating a, a product which someone is going to buy. Right. And you need to be able to understand how that works, you know, locally or internationally. You've got to know the, the rules <laughs> and the ways and, yeah. and you've got to have your people and your suppliers, your framers, your, you know, your shippers, yeah. you've got to have your clan of people. And that takes time to build up so they know, you know the, the quality that you work to and how you want your specific stuff and yeah. the, the templates that you... So there's like systems. And I, for some reason, I love having systems. I love knowing that like it's in place and like everyone can see what they got to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind oh. of like, I think that's a design mentality. You know, there's a sort of like funny thing about designers. I think there's this kind of sort of like an ego-y thing where they want to be able to like write the instructions ahead of the thing being made. You know, yeah. that's kind of like the principle of design. So you're trying to imagine all the problems before they surface. Mm. So you're kind of thinking it through a yeah. lot. And then, you know, you've got your game plan and you can, you can roll it out as such. Yeah. So a, a lot of that, I guess, is carried over to. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, how did you have the money to invest into like the pivot, right? Like the new, because yeah. obviously like you have to buy all these materials and things and practice yeah. and learn and get, get your system down. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was based on having those two components for those earlier, the first sort of 10 years out of university. It wasn't quite 10 years, but it was you know, a decent chunk where I was doing that commercial, the invention side. So 
I had things like royalties and stuff coming in oh, okay. that I was like using to, to live and fund what I was right. doing with the right. art. So I guess I, I really just called on that. Yeah. Really with the art side, there was less investment involved in that side yeah. than there was in the product side. And even on the product side, you know, made a lot of mistakes with the first one about trying to bring that product to market before I got wise to the fact you could license ideas out to people who are set up to, to do the entire thing themselves <laughs> rather than have, you know, your apartment filled with a million boxes and then have warehouses and, you know, all these kind of logistical things. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought I'm not going to do that again. So I, I guess I've, I've learned that sort of stuff yeah. and, you know, chill apps to be the cheapest fabric <laughs> right. out there. Yeah. So I, it, wasn't an, it wasn't like I was using silk you know or something really super expensive yeah it was very economical to make the works yeah the outset yeah so what does your typical creative process look like when you're like doing a new piece or it actually changes depending on the, the piece of the project you know sometimes it's if it's my own work and it's kind of canvas based i've got my my sort of technique and i can totally sort of run through some of that stuff but it's grown you know it started on the canvas it was like the first point my mind went to for some reason and as I kind of was in the environment of, of being in art and seeing more exhibitions and all that sort of stuff you know ideas of installations and maybe taking the material away from the canvas could it be outside the frame could it be immersive could it be sculptural could it be a sculpture could it take on a sculptural form so all those things have now happened over the last 10 years, yeah. but very slowly. I, I do think I'm a slow learner and it's like <laughs> very gradually I, I graduate to the next right. sort of thought. Yeah. And it also takes sometimes three or so years to develop just one of these things. Like, really? Yeah. Even like, just like one of these here hanging on the wall, yeah, you like work on it for... Yeah, the reason being is that I do travel quite a bit too. So sometimes I'm working in my main studio on something and I just have to leave it like in mid you know, mid-formation and go yeah. off and do something. Right. Sometimes I'm, you know, in the US for two or three months doing projects here and I go back and I pick up on that project and you know what, that was like last year I started that project or I do a bit more and then it's, again, you know, it's kind of like, and no one else can really do it for me because yeah. I'm investigating and trying to figure out some specific stuff. Yeah. So it's not necessarily it takes three years of time but it's just over the three years I've, yeah. I've managed to chip away at the new idea and it's and that's happened. But you're working on multiple pieces pretty much constantly. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, wow. I hear you go through a lot of irons. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I use the cheapest irons and the iron companies, you know, a lot of, I think all the iron companies have been in touch with me at one time or another and sent me, you know, these irons will turn up in the mail with enormous <laughs> boxes with like... They've got like a base with steam coming out and like huge cord things and like they're amazing, but I can't really use them. They're just not, they're too cumbersome. You know, I can use it on like four or five hours a day sometimes like working. And so I actually need something really light. Yeah. And sometimes these just cheap ones you buy from like a supermarket or the hardware store Yeah. for like 20 bucks or whatever are just perfect. And uh, for me, it's all about the point of the iron. So I'm going uh, there and I'm just like lining all these irons up, checking the points, going, no, that one's too fat. You know, I can't get the detail. When I find an iron with a point, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> but they, they blow up from time to time, which is a hassle. They blow up? Yeah. Okay. This is like a pop or a spark. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> from using them so much. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's probably just, yeah, the lifespan of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a while, you know. Sometimes I have a trusty iron and sentimental value, you know, after a year or two, it's like it survived. Yeah. And I thought, what were good pieces I've made with it? And it's died. I haven't chucked them away, I've kept them. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe there's an art piece waiting to be made. A graveyard of old irons. That would be an amazing, some, some sort of piece out of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should date them, sort of, and <laughs> see the progress of like, right, yeah, like cheap right. irons over the years, how they've developed. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I've been using irons to make the hats. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. You used the steaming. Yeah, so you steam the hats, and you press them out. And so it's interesting to like understand how an iron, how you work it. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. I mean, there is footage of me out there like ironing, and you know, I find it quite comical because it looks funny just like yeah. with, with this iron. It's not like it's <laughs> a really rugged, cool tool. It's like this domestic iron. You know, the plate of the iron's got a lot going on there. It's actually really, really hot down the bottom, yeah. not as hot at the top. You got the pointy, you got the. For me, it's like a palette knife, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, in the way that you use a palette knife, you use it flat, you use the side, you use the edge, you use the point. And I'm doing the same thing with the iron. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you can utilize you know, whatever art, you just create your own tools or you find different tools to uh, create. Yeah, you what you find need. what works. You know, there are other little irons out there, like miniature things that people yeah. use for, I guess, quilt making or something like that. And I've used all of those things. But funnily enough, I keep coming back to the iron. I think I got used to doing it or something and the motion of it. and because they're quite large, some of the works I do, you can yeah. do the whole arm movement and get a real cool like Whoa. curve or swipe. Whereas if you're using like, something the size of a pen, you're not gonna get that, yeah. that kind of oh, dynamic wow. thing, yeah. So is it actually melting the tool? No, it's not melting it... the tool. It's actually activating the surface of the canvas, which is, I'm, I'm pre-laminating with a special glue that's heat sensitive. So because the tool is so thin, it works you know, that little space between the canvas and the iron through the tool is enough for the tool to heat up the surface to bond to. So you just get oh, this great wow. bond. Yeah, and it can be so strong sometimes. If I say, for example, make a mistake, I can try and pull it off. You know, I've got some little techniques where I can kind of like shimmy it off type thing and sometimes I get away with it. But if the bond is too strong, it'll just, it'll rip the tool, in fact. So it's kind of like, it's a cool, it's just a very simple, <laughs> simple way of it working. And That's wild. The, the, the beauty of it is, is that it's immediate in the sense it's like painting. Yeah. You know, I can really react and move the material and I can kind of like adhere it as I go. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, sewing it. And I do hand sew the installation pieces, which is very laborious and hugely time consuming. Each you know, inch or so is gonna have some sort of sewn tack. And they, these things are large, oh so my God. hundreds of hours, whereas something of the same size will still take a long time, but it'll be more immediate and I can make some adjustments. Whereas you, to make an adjustment with a sewn, before you gotta undo the stitch and then redo it, it's like, oh my God. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, I was going to ask, so how did, you, how did you learn how to take this to the large scale, right? Because you've done these huge um, out, outdoor installations. Yeah, I think it's probably the same for all, every artist. I think this, the opportunity comes along and, or you just, yeah, you think, hey, there's a, there's a bigger wall or I'd love to do something on a larger yeah. size. And when the opportunity comes, you kind of grab it. Yeah. I first did that, I think I was about two years into that right. technique and something in England at Design Week came along and they said, we've got this wall. And I was like, oh yeah, let's, let's do it. So, so you, um, to a, you do it onto a wall or you do it? I did it on a, I did it on a very large canvas. 
Okay. Yeah, it was a very large canvas, but it was, it was like two and a half, I guess also in, in, in yards. It was like three by four yards type thing. Okay. So for me, that was the biggest one at that point. And also it wasn't behind the perspex because these pieces, you know, they're kind of fragile. You, They are generally behind perspex in, in like a shadow box. Yeah. But this piece, I was like, no, this is going to be really cool to just have outside and just let people yeah. get the sensibility of what the material is all about rather than yeah. behind the glass type thing. And yeah, so that was the wow. first go. So you're basically sewing it onto the canvas instead of like heating it with the... No, so that one was done with iron. That one was... With the large scale one. Yeah, large scale. Were you using the tool or were you using something a different... Yeah, same with the tool. I think the one after that was way, way bigger. It was, I don't know what it would be in yards. It would be like 15 meters, like 20 yards wide yeah. by five yards tall. And it was two, wow. two areas facing each other it was a very very large and and i i used oh, yards like i guess it was like two and a half thousand yards of, of fabric it was all suspended from the ceiling and within that were figures and forms and faces created from within the tool that was hanging from the ceiling so i was using like gravity and the density of the material to create form rather than just create images yeah. so it was a totally different idea but it was still attached to canvas. No, this was free. This was free, suspended in the air, just hanging oh. straight the way down. In a real, like in in depth, there was a lot of it. Yeah, chill. So it was almost just like smoke, just hanging yeah. in the air. But there were forms within it as well. So then, what's the technique with that? Since you're not you're not anchoring it to the canvas. That was all hand sewn. Yeah, okay. Oh, so you're like sewing, sewing it together, compacting it into forms and images and stuff. Oh my god. Yeah, and to me that was like another door opening, like. You know, because there's a point when like you're working on something you've been doing for a few years, you think to a certain point, you think that this is the answer for this particular yeah. technique. And then something jolts you into doing something else with the same medium. And you're like, holy shit, yeah. that was not the answer. And, and maybe this isn't the answer too. <laughs> and maybe there's another answer. And at the end of the day, you just kind of realize there's never one answer. Yeah. It's just like... And that's, that's why today, you know, I, I can, we're looking at stuff in here right now and oblivious to me, there's probably something I'm not catching right now that I'm going to be like, that's been staring me in the face for 10 years. Wow. And because it keeps happening, you know, the stuff I'm working on now where that's yeah. the case. Yeah. Cause you just make a connection. You're like doing it, do it, do it. And then you yeah. learn something new and you apply it and then something yeah. new spawns from that. Yeah. Like the flows, I've got a series called the flows and they are, they grew out of the portraits, which is what I started doing. As I mentioned, yeah. like really detailed, full canvas, just all all chill. They start out of one piece as well, those as well, but you couldn't tell yeah. because the whole canvas was filled. It was just like it looked like a texture, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of missing. Um, I'm missing the the beauty of what's going on here. I'm, yeah. I've gone too far, and it's lost. And so I thought I'd break it away and just like retract a lot of that detail, if you like. And get back to what we see around this room right now, which is just lots of chill hanging, just hanging out and yeah. looking beautiful as it is. And there's just, it's really evocative. I think it's just like it, you've got feelings of energy, you know, depending on whether it's kind of stretched and you've got these bands of like movement or whether it's floating or whether it's crumpled or dense. There's like a, almost like a language. Yeah. So it's like learning what those elements are and applying them into the works. And so the flows are, very visibly one piece of fabric that pretty much travel from the top to the bottom or from one side to another. Yeah. And within that, 
there is a much more subtle form of a face that comes through in a sort of meditative flow. Yeah. And those, for me, they all speak of that kind of like gentle serenity. Yeah. And, um, you know, what it's about to sort of find that clarity out of chaos, you know, and that goes right back to just that initial thought of when I saw that piece of crumpled tulle, there was that chaos of pleats. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's funny how the mind can quickly jump to overcomplicating something you know, rather than sticking on the the first simple version of what it what it was yeah 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 that's wild yeah. and it, it just kind of, i mean we all want to make order out of chaos right like our minds yeah. need to like create some sort of order yes out of the chaos yeah, absolutely <laughs> so where is the kind of like the inspiration like the theme or the story behind the pieces for me it's just it is that idea of like i guess in a way almost i think it's because of the time we're living in right now where we are extremely distracted i don't remember ever being bombarded with obviously so much information and it's, right. it's a common you know we we know it we know we're, we're living in that and some of us sign up to it more than others and are affected more than others but it doesn't sit well with me just yeah. to be on a personal individual level yeah and it's something i I, I bring into my artwork to try and keep that purity, that emptiness. Yeah. And that's where I'm kind of going with the, the flows particularly. And so that I've just developed a sculpture, which is like three years in the making. It's taken forever. Wow. Loads of failed attempts. But it was to make a sort of a monument to that idea and to see if I could take these flows off the canvas like, I, I remember just looking at them going, that is so cool. You know, like, sometimes you just, in your mind, superimpose stuff or you imagine something just, you know, coming away from the canvas, the whole thing would just disintegrate. Yeah. Like nothing holding it together. Yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking, how on earth can this thing hold itself together or be right. a sculpture? It would be so amazing. It's so yeah. beautiful just to be floating in the air. Anyway, I have figured it out. And I, I used a fencing material, which I had to get specially made, you know, designed to certain specifics to, for it to emulate yeah. the material, but on a, on a larger scale. So this thing's 15 feet tall. It was, on a, it was just exhibited in Arizona on, a, on an eight foot plinth and it's you know, positioned against the sky and it reveals itself as a silhouette in the same way these flows do on canvas, yeah. but just on a much larger scale. So wild. So wait, how stiff is that material? It's, you... properly, it's properly, it's like a fencing material. That so is it like metal and you're like bending it? It's actually a, a recycled plastic. So it's, oh. it's a recycled HDPE, they call it. And it's now being kind of used by, I guess, agriculture. It's being used underwater as well as, okay. as, as fencing for that because it's got amazing anti, like UV, anti-mold. Right. Um, and it doesn't corrode in the same, you know, this is the problem with plastics which we're obviously trying to avoid, but at the same time, this is a, a recycled version of it too. Right. You know, so I thought I would, I would try that out. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. So how do you form it then, is it? It's hand-formed. It's kind of tough. And yeah. when I start out, the piece is kind of like the size of a tennis court <laughs> instead of uh, a yard or something. <laughs> oh my long. God, that's <laughs> wild. Like, I'm trying to make the first moves of, of gathering it together and yeah. making sure that the first moves will dictate where the rest of it is. It's like a chess game because you're just pleating material, you know, with the intention that you're also going to try and define a face and you have enough of the material to, to get those features defined. Yeah. So it's like, it's, yeah, that's hence why I failed a lot on that one. But yeah, so that, that was really satisfying to get that piece done. That's wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take? 
Uh, it took probably like two months or so to, oh, okay. to actually create it. Wow. And yeah. where is it installed? That one's in Arizona. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Is it still there? It's there for a while, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully make it to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Check it out. That's yeah. wild. That's awesome. Where do you see this going? Like, what do, you, do you want to stay working with this material? I mean, do you see yourself exploring into other mediums? I do enjoy working with this material. You know, there's, if I haven't made a piece for a while because I've been, you know, like making a sculpture or something in that yeah. other medium, I do like coming back and feeling revitalized to sort of, with fresh eyes, you know, see what else I can do. So yeah. even in here, there's just lots of tests and playing around with different, different things. I, so yeah, I do feel a strong connection to it almost like honoring what I've started and seeing right. it through. Yeah, I, I hope I can continue working on that. Awesome. And I think naturally I'm always sort of, always have one eye on other stuff and ideas that, that can be quite totally. left field out, out of what I'm doing as well. Yeah, and I saw you did it was like a fashion show that Vogue had covered or something mm. like that. And uh, so you did it on actual dresses? Yeah, so that piece, I've done two collaborations. One was with Givenchy, which was for some couture, four couture pieces okay and that was really interesting that, that got me it was with ricardo tishi and he he wanted to see if i could create pieces that would would fit at the scale of the body on the sweatshirt it was a very cool concept he was you know basically wanting to use chill with with me to create the imagery which was kind of religious iconography and to make it as a real piece, not a print. A lot of people see the works and think they're actually prints onto the sweatshirts, but the, it's actually the real thing. So it was a couture piece in that sense. And we did sweatshirts. So he was really mixing streetwear with couture wow. and mixing feminine with masculine. So they were, you know, sweatshirts and t-shirts, but couture at the same yeah. time. Uh, but that's what he's really- known How many of those you make? Four. There's just four. Just four pieces, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, two sweatshirts and two t-shirts. And then a few years later, so year before last, I did. I worked with John Galliano and we did a trench coat, which had the lining, was black tulle. And out of the back seam, it burst out of the back seam, came around the front to form this, this face. <laughs> wow. And the whole collection was about filters and, you know, basically the idea of what, what our faces are in this modern day and age and who we are as how we present ourselves. And so wow. it was a kind of signature piece of that collection. It was an amazing project to work on yeah. know, so closely with someone who I did know about when I went to fashion college. He was like one of the few designers I did know about. Oh, wow. He was obviously such a, a big designer at the time. But yeah, so to end up working with him was really amazing. Yeah. He really is an artist. You know, he's obviously a designer, but he also is phenomenally creative. It's really off yeah. the charts. And we worked on that for like four months. And when it went down the runway, by the time it came back, it had gone viral. So it had gone everywhere. So we, we didn't know for the first you know couple of minutes after the show, and it was like the second last piece to go down the runway. So as the model, the last two, they came back off the runway, we kind of like crashed out because we, you know, the, the night before a show is, is an all-nighter, you know, we were up. Yeah. That night, we were actually making a box to transport the piece in. And the box took like four hours to like build because we were just like a last minute, like I've made the piece, how do we get it there? Because yeah. it was kind of a delicate thing. And so the, these sorts of things happen <laughs> at the last stage when everyone's finally, you know, doing the last stuff. So we had like an hour's sleep and that was about it. And these models come off the runway and I'm just like ready to crash out. I'm like, I'm, we're done, we did it, yeah. we're really happy. Everyone was really happy. <laughs> that show was particularly strong and we all felt really good about it. And 
yeah, I kind of like just crashed out on the, on the scene and someone just like waves a phone in front of my face and says, oh, you better see this. And it was like on all these blogs and websites and all these, you know, newspapers and stuff had done it. So it had gone way beyond just the fashion crowd. It was like very mainstream media had picked it up. Wow. And then the, the Met have just bought it as well. So it's actually there too. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it became quite a you know, an iconic piece. Yeah. Is it still at the Met? Yeah. They've only just recently acquired it. So, yeah. To go see that. That sounds amazing. So it's, yeah, it was amazing to sort of go full circle and work back in in that world. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, man. That's so wild. Yeah. Have you done any other collaborations since then with fashion designers? Oh, with fashion? No, I haven't done anything. The only thing I didn't really was, I did the windows as an installation collaboration with Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah. So, that was really a wonderful thing to do too. They just had the windows refitted and they've got a great history as really one of the first retail environments to, to do windows as yeah. an artistic sort of expression, if you like, because of then other people have made such a big deal of how the yeah. windows are displayed. So the Bergdorf windows are, are a thing and yeah, it was cool to do those. Yeah. Super yeah. cool. I did the, the flows actually were in that. That exhibition was called Seeing Through the Material and it was like, one of the areas where I started to started to think about, you know, using those environments of yeah. luxury and all that sort of stuff and play off them with putting in these kind of subtle reminders of almost like to think about who we are within, not just externally. Yeah. So I really like that idea of that juxtaposition too. Of, yeah. Because these works are very, you know, they're quite haunting almost in a way. They're sort of these almost ghostly yeah, uh, you know, and for me that's quite soulful as well because yeah. it's that it's that in between material and spiritual. So to use those environments is something I'm really excited to do more about too. Yeah, I love that. So, what's your spiritual journey been in relation to your art? Oh my god, it's been amazing because it's this material and the, how the work has been received, and the fact that I think that that positive reception has enabled me to continue. Yeah, it's enabled me to grow spiritually because of the connection with the artwork and what it's teaching me because I'm seeing those sensibilities in it Yeah, the sensibilities of spirituality in it yeah. because it's, it is a material that is half not there and I find that fascinating you know you're looking at these chill hanging the bit you can see against the wall before it folds is 5% in the existence it's only 5% visible so we're, we're looking at, at a graduation from nothing and if I screw that up into a ball, it'll become completely solid yeah. in the sense it's completely dark material. You can't see through it. So as a sculptural medium, you've just traversed the spectrum of solidity. You've gone from nothing to solid. Yeah, from energy to matter. Yeah, exactly. And it, to me, it resembles energy. And the way I'm beginning to use it, especially in the new pieces that I'm going to be bringing wow. out, I've spent about three months of this year developing a way to turn it into solid form and release it into back into nothing so it will be touching on those subjects wow in a much bigger way it's taken ages to get that to work yeah yeah oh man i can only imagine yeah but that subject matter is just becoming more important to the direction i'm taking this work yeah so what's spirituality mean to you in general honoring ourselves honoring who we are as spiritual beings you yeah know, and honoring ourselves as creatives mm-hmm. yeah honoring creativity yeah because that's the unique thing that we have and are able to express 
Yeah. And we all do it in different ways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like everyone is creative. Not everyone's mm-hmm. say an artist per se, but everyone is creative, right? Absolutely. We all, I mean, there's entrepreneurs build their businesses and that's our art. Absolutely. Like, I was working with a school. In fact, I'm still working with them in London. And they had reached out, to, a parent had reached out to me to tell me that her son was in a class that was named after me. Wow. And so I went back to this lady and said, what do you mean? You know, what do you, what do you mean? She said, sent me a link and said, yeah, the school has like, you know, been inspired by your work and they have a class named after you. They've got two classes. One is wow. Picasso and one is Benjamin Shine. No, oh, I, I like you. I love of that. It. This, is, this is cool. <laughs> no, but I, I said to them, hey, should I, should I be in touch with the school? This is, you know, I feel like I should get involved. And she said, yeah, absolutely. This would be really cool. So I went to meet them, met the class and did a little presentation. They were like 10 years old or, yeah, like 10 years old. Really the school was all about getting the kids to be far more creative in their thinking, more so than perhaps you and I experienced when we were younger. So I was all for that too. Yeah. And some of the things they were saying, I was just like blown away with it. A 10-year-old kid was kind of like even saying these things. So they were really interested in what I was doing, which I wasn't sure they would be. Yeah. I thought they might be bored, like here's some guy coming in and we've got to pretend to be interested. But they were they were really engaged. And I, I stayed around and... I started by saying, who here is creative? That was like my opening line to them. And two kids put their hand up. Wow. I was like, mm-hmm. I said, you know, who here is good at art? Who's artistic? And the same two kids put their hand up. I said, you know, creativity is, is not how good you are at art. You know, and he said, who's good at football? You know, three kids put their hand up. Who's, who's here good at singing? The two kids. I said, I said, all you guys are creative. It's, I said, there is confusion about creativity and who's artistic. And so that kind of like sunk in. And it was cool how a lot of these kids kind of like sat up in their seat, just feeling a little bit more um, <laughs> you know, engaged and feeling a little bit more, I guess, valued in what they were doing. And so we, I did like one-on-one with them. They all lined up and we, I, would, I chatted to each of them oh, and wow. found out what they did. And there was one kid who was so good at drawing. He doodled because he was waiting in line. By the time he got to me, he'd be like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. He'd done these doodles all over this page. I said, man, these are fantastic line drawings. And I was like, has anyone told you this? He goes, no. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, no, no, I'm not really good at drawing. I said, these are fantastic. I said, are you good at cartoons? He said, yeah, I like drawing cartoons. But, you know, at school, we're not necessarily encouraged to draw cartoons where there's a curriculum. You've got to draw the, yeah. the glass or you've got to draw the thing or whatever the thing is. And so I, took, I spoke to the teachers afterwards. I said, what are you doing with like your award system? And they said, we've got the art award. I said, I think you've got to change that. I think you've got to change it to like a broader creativity set of awards. Mm. So now that they're doing a whole thing, I will just change the whole way they're doing it. I've worked with them on the awards thing. So I'm wow. going in to present one of them, but they've done, we've got like 10 categories. So all these kids are going to get some kind of award for something in the creative field, whether it's abstract art, because one kid was just drawing crazy stuff all over the page. Wow. And I was like, yeah, you know, and now the kid's doing this. You know, that to him, he found that interesting. I'm yeah. like, if that doesn't get nurtured in some way, we don't know what that can turn into. Yeah. And you've got to keep that spark alive. And I know because it happened for me. And yeah. I felt that. I, I showed them pictures of what I did at five years old and how my parents had framed those photos. Yeah. And for me, when I came home from school and saw a picture of my work framed, I was like, oh, my God, I... I feel like uh, it's, it was worthy to be framed. And I, that yeah. feeling ignited like a desire to like do more of that. And maybe if that hadn't happened, 
Yeah. And no one had really pointed it out. It yeah. just fizzled out. Once they get to reward the spark instead of like the actual container of like what the structure yeah. of what like yeah. traditional art is. Or yeah. like people want people to fit in that traditional art box. Exactly. In a certain sense. But if you follow that spark, you start to discover new things. I mean, like, how would you have discovered this in regular art class? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it starts there. That passion starts there and it yeah. can carry you through. And yeah, I mean, I think we're valued at school for, you know, especially academics or sport. Art is not up there majorly, yeah. unless you're specifically good at the things that are specifically on the criteria of the curriculum. Yeah. But this school has embraced this and they're doing all these things. You know, best cartoon, best cartoon. It's, it's going to be an award. Wow. And there's going to be a, a kid who wins that and he may That's go amazing. into graphics or he may go into something to do with that because it's yeah it's valued and he's yeah. going to feel pride in that too yeah you know it, you wear you feel that you know if you're not the best football player or you're not the, the person who's you know the best i don't know what you're going to feel great because you know everyone recognizes you yeah. for what you're good at yeah so we made a really wide broad uh, art thing that's like amazing that. yeah. i love that because you really do have to like reward the spark and not the the actual yeah. product necessarily yeah. i mean yeah you know, because that's going to spur kids to experiment more. And I think when you experiment, you you spur that on. You... Yeah, the confidence. I saw the confidence shift in some of these kids. As soon as you showed them that you valued what they was important to them and what they liked, they lit up. That's and you, you just think, oh, oh my God, is this being suppressed? How can we figure out right, how to right, keep that right, right. happening? Totally. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. I love that. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that. I'm working with that school a lot. And we're going over there to open up so a, whole, cool. a whole wing, a whole area that they, they built. Super It's a creative cool. wing. And they're doing stuff in the playground. We're doing this thing where one kid wins an award and their work's going to be blown up onto the side of the building. Yeah. So they can get this feeling of stuff that's usually beyond their years before they have experience seeing their work at that scale. Yeah. And doing stuff. So it's like just getting in there early. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's okay. So you're working there with them like kind of on an ongoing basis yeah super cool yeah I love that so now what is your I mean what does your life look like on, almost on a not necessarily a day to day basis but like you travel a lot I mean how are you able to like do your art but like live in different cities it's pretty fragmented for the last few years I'm sort of I've got the same pattern of living in between three countries so Australia where I have lived for 12 years wow although I lived there I, I've always been out of the country for various you know amounts of time so it's not full on 12 months but that's where i've i've been based but for the last few years i've been here in the u.s a lot you know for yeah three four five months at a time so right now i'm coming to the end of a four month trip something like that so i'm on a special artist visa okay which means i can you know technically live and work here yeah so that's a really uh really grateful to have that and you know some wonderful projects happen here so, so cool. i always love coming back here and getting those done Love that. Love yeah. that. So what does the day in the life look like? Do you have any specific like morning routine type of stuff that you do or? Yeah, I don't because it changes. Mm -hmm. I just have to adapt to what's, what's live at the moment. Yeah. Um, sometimes a project can come up that's way more short, short time frame than is desirable. And it's like everything has to switch to that. And it's just about how can we make this actually happen in the short time frame? And yeah. Climbing mountains to do that. <laughs> you know, in those cases, it's very difficult to have yeah. routines. My wife, however, is amazingly regimented. She's like <laughs> the most, she's amazing at just nothing will 
get her out of like the fundamental things that are important yeah. health-wise, yeah. you know, which has been super amazing for me to have that, you know, yeah. when it comes to just basic looking after yourself. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're passionate and you love what you do, especially, our, you know, artists and creative people, the health side of things can, can fall into second, third, fourth, fifth place. <laughs> and you just find yourself working because it, it doesn't feel like work. You know, you're yeah. enjoying it. You can spend too long on those hours. So yeah, I, I try and slot in with her as much as I can. We do our, we do our little routines of exercise and we get for walks where we can, if we can yeah. find some green places or we, you know, we go to the gym or whatever. And yeah. We just try and do those things for sure if we can. Yeah. But other than that, no, there's not, it's just like, trying to figure stuff out you know? get up get in the get in the studio kind of thing yeah just get the creative muscle yeah. working yeah. yeah i hear she's a really good chef my wife is an amazing chef <laughs> she's a lady of many talents yeah and she's got a pretty amazing story of herself with what's happened to her you know oh, she, cool. she turned her life around and her health around which deteriorated pretty drastically yeah. you know, to the point of of nearly dying wow and she she turned that around so both of us have i think we help each other it's beautiful. And what we do, yeah. I love that. Do you guys get to see each other that often? I mean, it sounds like you're in the studio. <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> We do, we do, we do. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, one final question I love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration? Mm -hmm. To live inspiration? Wow, I think that, for me, that means to, to inspire others, basically, to feel that that is your role. Yeah. Yeah, and I do, I do feel that is my role. Like yeah. Said, if you're talking purpose or anything like that, it's here's the role of the artist mm -hmm. to to open doors and you know show other ways of doing things, other other ways to think of things. Yeah. And yeah, to inspire on in, in some level. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So people can find you and follow you on Instagram is probably the best, which we talked about. That's the only one I have actually. Yeah. Yeah, Benjamin Shine Studio. That's it. Yeah. And then you have a website. I think it's just Benjamin Shine Studio. It, yeah. It's just Benjamin Shine. Yeah, that's oh, okay. my website. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, check out Benjamin's work. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's it's epic. So uh, thanks for coming on. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Your stuff is amazing. Thanks, man. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into today's episode of Neon Radio with Benjamin Shine. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could hop on over to the podcast app, leave us a good review, because it just helps us get the word out, share the podcast. So far, I think we have five stars, so all, all good things. And uh, if you want to go check out the video of the studio tour, you can hop over to my IGTV over at, at Nick Onkin, and uh, you can check it out there. Also, at Neon Life, N-I-O-N-L-I-F-E, is the podcast Instagram. So, 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 so. And if you want to join the community... You can go over to neonlife.com slash community. There's join the Facebook group with some other fellow creatives. Connect, post your work, all that good stuff. So also go and take the Neon Life quiz over at neonlife.com slash quiz and I-O-N-L-I-F-E dot com slash quiz. And we'll serve you up some free content of where to help you out where you're at in your creative journey. And with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time.